how do you get the right kinds of folks excited to join your community? How are you creating meaningful connections as soon as the folks discover your community? That was Adi Gizi, the new head of community at Banyan Collective. I really enjoyed this episode because community and DAOs are one of those things that people tend to romanticize. Everyone seems to like them until you actually get involved. On this conversation, we cut through the crap and drawing from my experience in the Near ecosystem and Addy's extensive experience in DAOs and communities on the Ethereum ecosystem, we really break down why DAOs, some of the common challenges, how to get started, how to become an active contributor, and more. This is a very timely conversation. Since this podcast was recorded, the Neuro Foundation has released a new role opening for international regional expansion, and the regional DAO working group at the NDC has been created. My message to all those interested in applying and anyone that may want to contribute now or in the future is to dedicate a bit of time, sit back and relax, get that cup of tea or coffee or matter, and enjoy. This is an absolute masterclass and an instant classic. Without further ado, I'll let you enjoy this amazing wide-ranging conversation with Addy Easy. Enjoy! Hello friends, welcome back to another episode of the Wild User Interviews podcast with me, AVB. Today, I am thrilled to have with me Addy Gator, <laughs> also known legally as Addy Geis. Geisy, the German Gizzy. vowel sneaky sound gets everyone. I should know because I've started learning German with an app on my phone, but clearly not making much progress. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. The new <laughs> word I learned yesterday was Beispielweise. Ooh, that sounds intense. I don't think I know the, that one. I think that means, for example. Brilliant. If there are any German speakers listening to this, I am sorry. <laughs> we apologize. And yes, I do not pretend to actually be German. I am descendant of the wonderful country of Germany many grandparents ago. <laughs> and I've been to Germany. I've been to Munich, München, and where my family's from, Altraching. So trying to learn the history and lineage. Lovely. I'd like to spend more time there. I spent summer of 2017 and 2018 in Berlin. My next stop, hopefully. That's more my speed with the uh, with the club scene. So I have to check that out at some point. <laughs> and it's got a wonderful startup scene as well. It would be great if we coincide in Berlin because maybe you can start a Web3 community there, which is a brilliant segue. I am challenging Jason Calacanis for the world's greatest moderator and bring it back to you. So who is Addy? Who am I? I like to define myself as a professional opportunist in a good way. I like to connect dots. I like to work in emerging areas that are not well-defined and have a lot of ambiguity. Always been in that that front frontal kind of on the battlefield space and community is the best place to be doing that right now since I hate to use cheesy phrases, but we're really building the plane while we're flying it and getting to do some neat stuff from the ground up, and I wouldn't change it for the world. 
Welcome to Crypto. Uncertainty is our breakfast, lunch, dinner, nighttime, snack, everything combined. I really like that doing research for this episode, I've followed you through the ages. And I think there's a natural progression to all the experience that you have. Something really jumped at me as well, reading your introduction somewhere at some point. Active investor, trader, and enthusiast of the world's greatest behavioral economics experiment since 2017. I love that. I think that sums up crypto as well as anyone could. So maybe we can start there and then see where we go. Like, why a human behavioral experiment? Oh, I love that this is where we're starting because this is where it all comes back to. Okay. Very quick TLDR on my background. I studied exercise science at university, wanted to help make people healthier, started working in American healthcare, very quickly realized that I wasn't doing health coaching. I was really just helping manage costs for a financial product. And if I wanted to help, yeah, that face, exactly. Health insurance in America, very much a financial product. And I realized that I could coach these people all day, but if they weren't financially free, they were never really going to master their destiny. So I thought the way I could help more people was help them be financially free. And so I've been looking at opportunities to do that ever since. And because of insurance and the way premiums work, that goes into the pricing based on human behavior. And what always fascinated me as an insurance rep I eventually transitioned from health coaching into sales, which is how I got a lot of business experience, but I digress. Anyway, I was always fascinated from pricing and premiums and getting these policies out. You have to look at the group of humans and decide what you think they're going to cost from a risk perspective. And I just never understood how actuaries and data scientists and all these really brilliant quantitative figures could rationalize human behavior because we are the most irrational things out there. And how do you put metrics to it? And so that's why I've been always fascinated with it and behavioral economics and the dots have connected. (laughs) I love it. We actually share a very common origin story. It's slightly different. I studied law thinking it was the best way to have an impact on the world. And then you realize that it is a completely financialized industry. You basically represent whoever pays you the most and you don't give an absolute shit about anything else if you want to make money at least. And you start reverse engineering yourself to, okay, what are the actual dynamics in society? And what can we do to change things? And very quickly I realized that if you look at Web2 world, most things are like regulatory capture. That's why there's a very strong irony in the U.S. that it is the land of the free, but it is also the land where we will protect your financial interests if you are already rich. And I've really enjoyed seeing the transition from Wall Street over to Silicon Valley and all these techies at least 10 years ago being like the underground and products that the traditional financiers didn't see coming. And in a way, I'd like to think that is also crypto now. We're using all the memes and the NFTs and the weird shit at the front so that they don't see us coming. But we once again have a really good opportunity to implement a new technology to open up new frontiers. And I guess that it really comes down to that human behavioral science. How would you define human behavioral science if somebody's not familiar with the term or they don't know exactly what we're referring to because we're coming at it from two very different angles? Yeah, your side is like the logic side of how do you reason your way through situations and mine is more of like the risk 
of the health side. So it's true. Two different sides that are complementary and definitely Venn diagram overlap. In terms of definitions, I apologize to all scientists out there that are actually working on this. That would define it really as what is an extrinsic versus intrinsic motivator for humans and incentive design to get them to do things. And that obviously is very important when it comes to building communities and protocols and tokenomics or Ponzi-nomics, depending on which projects you're working with. That's what I think it really comes down to at the end of the day. And what I mean by extrinsic versus intrinsic motivation, take health and fitness as an example. The idea of you wanting to be really fit can come from an intrinsic place in terms of wanting to look good physically, wanting to attract a partner, et cetera, versus intrinsically, you want to be healthy so that you can like enjoy your life to the fullest. And a byproduct of that is get having a nice physique. So when it comes to designing communities and products and things of that nature, I'm a big believer in finding the intrinsic motivations because that's a much more genuine engagement in the long term, usually. You nailed it and should have issued a trigger warning because just before we started recording, I was saying that I was doing a lot of research, a lot of reading for this episode, and I got a little bit sad. Something hit me and I thought it was going to come out later in the episode, but we might as well just vent it all out now. I can see how all the dots on your journey connect. There's a really nice progression through DAOs, through communities, through community of communities. And most recently, we should have probably said this earlier. <laughs> you've joined the Banyan Collective as a head of community in December. I know that you're brand new to the role, but you've hit the ground running. And it's really reassuring to know that Banyan now has somebody with all your experience and will explore that to its fullest in a second. But what struck me was that as I read through most of the WGMI and all the links included in it, I realize that there's a lot of shit that we're not doing right. There's a lot of challenges that we have in the near ecosystem. And even as we become aware of them now, trying to undo some of the previous mistakes is a big challenge. And the one thing that I was like, damn, more people should read this. Peter Pan, what's his name? Yep, Peter Pan, Peter Pan, yes, right, Meta Cartel. Peter Pan, very short, medium blog post detailing how to grow Web3 and online communities. The reason yeah. why it struck me is because I, I've been sitting as a marketing DAO council and early day near community. So I've seen many iterations of community and it's crazy how Peter captures in such a neat way the challenge between intrinsic and extrinsic, like as, as you read it, it's obviously you do not want people that are just drawn in by the money because when the money dries up, the community dies. You want people that have intrinsic alignment with overall mission, their skills, they're willing to do the work. And then the remuneration, a useful framework to think around it is the remuneration is a way to recognize the value that you're already contributing or you, that you're willing to contribute. It shouldn't be the main thing that attracts you. And I was like, this is so obvious in hindsight. I just wanted to, I guess, thank you. And we yeah. can probably start to deconstruct how you've seen these forces at play in all of the DAOs and groups that you've worked with, because we will eventually come to near. 
<laughs> and how are we going to grow this community? Absolutely. This article is a great article, truly. It's one of my favorites. And I, I reference the content as well as the graphics quite a bit in here as a visual representation of taking Web2 terminology, thinking about a funnel. How do you get the right kinds of folks excited to join your community? You can think of it as that wide funnel. You have to initially start with great discovery opportunities. How are you getting the word out about your community? Is it by spending advertising dollars, blasting yourself all over social channels, or are you showing up at community events and lending a hand or doing other promotions or finding meaningful partnerships or ecosystem or public goods opportunities that are exposing your logo and your community to people that are already working on like-minded initiatives that may align with what you're doing. So that's number one is what are you doing to get the word out? Because that depends a lot on the type of folks that you attract. And then once you get them into the, how are you engaging them? We've all been there where we join these servers or these telegram groups and we're excited for a short bit of time, but we get distracted or the vibe is off for whatever reason and we drop off and then turn into lurkers. That's the missed opportunity from a community engagement and building standpoint. How are you creating meaningful connections as soon as the folks discover your community? Are you doing one-on-one -on -one introductions? Are you shouting them out in Discord? Are you rounding them up on a town hall and giving a background or finding out what they're interested in and introducing to complementary people within the community, et cetera? There's so many different pathways of engagement based on what you're doing and not one size fits all. Obviously, things are going to be different for a DeFi protocol versus an NFT versus a wallet, et cetera, et cetera, right? So being thoughtful around that. And then lastly, the number one metric I have for decentralized community building is self-organization. You want to help create space for these magical, meaningful community moments to happen, but you don't necessarily want to force it. A great example of two really good communities, a traditional community as well as a current community in crypto are Linux as well as Arbitrum. Neither of those communities have tokens. Interesting. A really good summary. And I think that we could probably try to draw some parallels or some examples with each. The first one we see on a daily basis with the marketing DAO and probably broadly across crypto, any product that you ask, what's your go-to-market strategy? It's crazy how people are trying to short circuit what should be that meaningful engagement, putting yourself out there, trying to find who are the people that are pre, what's the word, preconditioned or predisposed to join your movement. They just want to bypass all that by having raffles or giveaways or like very shallow metrics that we've learned everything over the last eight months of bear market is that doesn't mean anything. Having that awareness is important. What I'm really curious to learn is how do we map out existing crypto communities, top tier, I guess, and then we would have probably existing developers. At what stage are we in and how do we eventually reach out for the masses? How can we justify wanting to onboard 1 billion people, but say, no, I don't want to sponsor your birthday party with 70 normies, I want you to go to a meetup with 11 developers. Like, where are we at? How can we think about those challenges? How have you seen the evolution coming from Ethereum to other ecosystems, through two bull markets? 
Great question. As, as part of my onboarding and learning the ecosystem, I've been asking myself the same questions as anyone would. What excites me the most about Mirror is that the technology is very interesting and solving pretty complex problems that can impact the industry at scale in a good way. That's great. However, I don't know how it's been evangelized per se. That's a good problem to have. If you have good tech, but you need to fix marketing or just grow marketing, maybe not fix it, just double down on it. That's a good problem to have and easy to get the word out and eventually get the right people excited about it. The way we're thinking about messaging here in the United States to just cut through the noise and reach very talented developers, as well as folks from Web2, because realistically, that's what we need to scale. We need to get people excited to come into these ecosystems and help across the industry. Getting them excited about solving really complex problems around building the open decentralized web is the route we're going, as well as showing them how to do it through Near. Instead of just shilling or forcing people to show up onto online AMAs, et cetera, and things, it's like, no, we're going to really talk about work we're trying to do and solve it and pathways to doing it with Mir. That's definitely the way to go. What would you say are or should be the key narratives to really capture people's interest? Is it why Web3? Is it why Mir is different from other blockchain technologies? Is it a mix depending on the audience? The messaging always has to be targeted because there are different areas that resonate with different people. I think that a big part of the Web3 narrative in general is around sovereignty, ownership, and data control for your own self. The way we're thinking about it with Near and Banyan is it's a spectrum of options, right? And helping people understand what their options are to interact with blockchain makes a lot of sense to me because not everybody needs to go full crypto native, right? There are plenty of use cases for being hybrid and ex having exposure here, but not necessarily self-custodying, right? How do we solve a lot of those really big challenges and also password and key management? Because grandma is not going to remember a seed phrase and how to access it long term right off the bat until we build that into the experience. I also do think abstracting a lot of the clicking through of things. Like, for example, in other chains, there is a lot of transactions to click through and approve, whereas Near has abstracted that process, which makes people less nervous about are they clicking the right thing and understanding what they're clicking. David that often comes up with OGs. I know that you self-label as a like, oh, like a geriatric millennial. Boomer. <laughs> I'm like a crypto boomer. Yes. Crypto boomer. I was close. I come yeah. it comes up and I'd love to hear your thoughts is I have a sense that because Nier has been so focused on technology, it's both a smaller subset of people that work in that tech stack, but also maybe we haven't had the years of thinking about the philosophy of Web3. I feel like we have implicitly inherited it because we're all the same people. We just saw the technology here that can advance it. But I do think that we now have to make it explicit. If you're coming from Ethereum and you believe in open communities and you believe in all these wonderful things that I've been reading all day that I'm really inspired about, yeah. it's about putting out the bat signal, let them know that we believe in those things, welcome them, embrace them. 
maybe we can touch on some of those philosophies because I'm also mindful that we could be getting the same but opposite problem. Newcomers coming into Nier may actually not know what the philosophy behind Web3 is. Even though Ilya may have said it enough times that it has lost meaning, a world where users are in charge of their data and governance and whatnot. I'd love to get your thoughts on what your experience was early days, Ethereum. What does an open community mean? I've seen today the Moloch DAO manifesto. Are we have Peter Pan. The WGMI is rich with these guidelines for people. Hey, you're brand new. You're an outsider. This is what we stand for. I really enjoy those like guiding principles. If you had to yeah. welcome someone to the near community now and basically summarize, this is what I've done and this is what I believe in and this is what I think it's important for you to know, how would we do it? Actually, this is a good point to touch on because I actually make a distinction that I actually never wanted to work in blockchain or crypto. So when I say 2017, I was an early, I was an enthusiast or investor trader. That's all I was doing. I was straight gambling. I'm going to just call it what it was. Like, I was not interested in building anything here. I really just thought it was a neat thing happening on the internet and I wanted to check it out. Thanks for the honesty. Yeah. And so this is actually important too, to why I'm focused on what I'm focused on now is because during DeFi summer and COVID, et cetera, I did a lot of value extract from the ecosystem. And so after actually really wanting to learn more about the technical side of it and more of the philosophical side of it myself, met some really wonderful humans and realized that this was bigger than being an online casino. That's just what the use case in America is, but globally... I feel very differently about the borderless, permissionless nature of these financial transactions. Now want to give back and help build the next wave because I get it now. Before it was really just interesting and cool and edgy or whatever. And then through my own experience as a user, really wanted to dive deeper and give back eventually. So that's what I'm trying to do now is value adding. I'm just saying that if... Everyone else that jumped into shit coins and NFTs and whatever crazy bull run stuff we had a few months ago. If everyone follows a similar journey, we are on a fantastic track to mass adoption. But also, that is precisely the reason why I wanted to have you on. I am a big fan of what the Banyan Collective is doing. And other than trying to deconstruct some first principles and general guidelines that anyone listening could uh, potentially implementing the life, I'm really determined to find playbooks and to have similar structures that Banyan Collective is implementing for other communities around the world. I'm very active with the community in Mexico. I'm flying to Argentina next week. I know that we have communities in Vietnam, in Africa. How can we bring them as many tools as possible to make it easy for them to capitalize on all that potential? So yeah, I'm glad that you've reached your giving back stage and you're with us <laughs> Looking back at the 10 years of my career has been like game day training for this, if you will. I really look at this opportunity as the Olympics of my work, life, history, experience, and interests all dissecting and converging into one really cool opportunity to really help get the word out about this really cool L1 in the United States. That's just a really 
unexpectedly amazing opportunity to get to be part of through Banyan. Cameron from Banyan and I actually met through some crypto community events. So really the power of IRL community is very necessary to complement digital community. We met through a birthday party through mutual crypto friends and connections and bent into each other a couple months later at an office that I work out of Brooklyn for builders. Shout out settlers.build. But yeah, bumped into him there. And then that's how we reconnected and had the opportunity to figure out how we can drive community efforts. I'm a big believer in documentation, templates, all these things. Going back to my 10 years of career experience, I have spanned all sorts of things from a health coach to a senior account executive with Fortune 50 companies and hyper growth startups in Web2 that were like unicorn darlings, et cetera. And now, honestly, all I want to do is build cool shit with my friends and also do some really good work for the greater good of humanity. And that's where I really feel like we get to do that with Banyan. I've also done some technical project management after shifting out of sales. So wanted to work with devs more as well as product people, designers, et cetera. I had a really scrum agile approach to community building that is extremely well documented. And I'm a big believer in templating things as well as open sourcing things. Amazing. Like to some things, this may sound boring and cookie cutter because if you work at an accounting firm, I guess that's all you do. It's all systems. But the reality is early adopters and the weird cohort that comes before early adopters, which is builders, they're messy as fuck. Like processes are non-existent. We have vision, we have principles, we have capital, but we tend to scare off people that can bring some order into the house. So it's really good to hear that you bring in all these processes and looking forward to see how they can be replicated across. I might take you back a couple of steps. I've got some prompts to see how deep we can dive on the community side of things. Try to define what is a community because I know that the word gets thrown around a lot. And sometimes I wonder, is this a community? Am I part of the community? So I'll have a really quick read of this quote, which I loved. And then I'll let you expand on it. Are you ready? Yep. Very good. Anybody can build a community. Being a member of a community is earned, not given. Anybody can lurk in most communities, but being a member takes time, contribution, and dedication. It is important that you advocate for yourself build strong relationships, give evidence of your contributions and get buy-in or consensus for all the work that you are putting in. And to give you some context before you elaborate, because I know that you have heaps of experience working with DAOs, we have a real problem on the near governance forum. Ain't on accounts, three days. They feel like they are community just because they exist and they go to the forum to demand from others. And while I fully embrace the principles of transparency, I just love how that quote captures that being a community is more of a two-way street and that to demand you have to first prove, not even who you are, you could be pseudonymous, but what you bring to the table and be vouched by others. Just that framework could solve so many issues that we have in the near ecosystem now. But I may be getting ahead of myself. Maybe I'll let you expand on those points and how you've seen that interaction evolve for some of the DAOs that you've participated. 
Sure. It all does come back to systems. I know that systems aren't necessarily sexy, but they take the emotion out of a lot of the operation of working with extremely irrational humans. I'm not saying that people who work in DAOs are irrational. I'm saying that they are humans and humans are inherently emotional. The beautiful thing about Web3 is that it is borderless and permissionless, but with that comes an extreme spectrum of how people communicate, how they interpret others are communicating, the way different cultures do business, things of that nature. The best way to encourage that full and meaningful engagement and participation is to really just keep reinforcing the behaviors that align with your community and then create pathways for those folks to rise up through the community and have more voice or have more opportunity to get buy-in from others on initiatives. And that way the trolls self-select out and get more diluted from the people that are actually positively impacting and contributing. That's what is ultimately going to be highlighted in the spotlight and role models. And those are the folks that are going to be finding like-minded people to add to your community for that positive sum experience for everybody. Because it's network. Add one to two people and boom, you just keep growing with this positive flywheel and it's hopefully self-organizing from there eventually. That last part is so important. A's attract A's. B's attract C's and D's. This is why I got depressed reading all the documentation because I can see how our B's and C's proliferated. And now they self-label as community and are so demanding on the people that are actually trading value. Most people honestly prefer to just leave the ecosystem. It's becoming very troublesome. We have challenges now where, yeah, I don't want to dive too much into it. But if- I'm empathizing. I'm hearing you. It's just, it's a hard problem. No, it feels near and dear because it is happening to near, but this is definitely an industry-wide problem. So maybe you can give us a really quick overview of the systems that we're putting in place or the WGMI DAO and also tell us what it is as you go. Because I was reading through it and I thought it was a beautiful, natural progression. The relationship is not forced. Everyone gives and takes as they feel comfortable and ready. I think that it could very possibly be replicated across other DAOs in the near ecosystem. And I'm also wondering how some of these previous experiences and lessons may be implemented into the Banyan Collective to enable it to grow itself. Yeah, absolutely. So with WGMI, the best things you can do for your active community members are rewards and recognition. And I'm talking like a POAP or some sort of badge to indicate that they participated in something or contributed to a project or some sort of on-chain representation of a contribution. It sounds really simple. But I can't tell you how many people I've shouted out just in a town hall or a meeting that we've had at WGMI and thanked them for their work. And with WGMI, all of our contributors are part-time. We would love to be self-sustaining full-time, but it's just not feasible in this climate and just with where DAOs are. But that's okay because there's some really great side 
opportunities and events that we're still able to do and contribute to the ecosystem. We want to help empower folks that have been positive and additive to the community from day one. And when we recognize the contributions that they've made and the positive impact that they've had, like they're obviously a lot more bought in to help us succeed in certain projects and initiatives that we might call on the community to help with. That's the best way to do it, I think, is, again, just reinforce the people who are doing great stuff. It doesn't always have to be monetary. I know everybody wants to airdrop their communities, but it's not feasible right now. Also, DAOs don't have that figured out if they have liquid tokens, especially if they've taken investment. The community can get diluted in their investments. We're trying to do a lot of stuff that is also not incentivized by tokens. And when WGMI does release a token, it will be NFTs and membership season pass to content and experiences versus the liquid kind of flipping and trading. I think that's pretty I, important. I really like that the use of POWAPs as a way to recognize value because it removes away the financial element, but it strikes the right chords. And this is probably taking us to the beginning around the human behavioral design aspect. I first heard of human behavioral design when I was finishing university. And I thought it was fascinating because the more that I read about it, I realized that marketers were ahead of the curve by 70 years. They knew exactly how to tap into people's emotions, reactions, social group behavior. And we're only now starting to understand that intersection between psychology and economics. And I was just fascinated. Like I was still at university studying law and I learned that the government of the UK, they have a behavioral design group within the government now, and they're structuring policies based on the desired outcome. And just to give people a couple of real simple examples that people usually throw around when they talk about behavioral design and behavioral economics, there was one example of a school. So the desired behavior was to increase the consumption of fruits for children. The issue that they had is that if the fruit was at the beginning of the cafeteria, of the buffet, they wouldn't pick anything because they were too excited to get the main food. But then if the fruit was at the end of the line, their plates were already full and they just didn't pick up the fruit anyway. So they tried placing an island, like a fruit and vegetable station right in the middle. And they found that kids would actually pick up like the main food and the fruit and veggies at the same time as they were walking through and they increased consumption by 30, 40%. So that was a really interesting example of just by changing the design, you can get a different outcome. The other one, which is fascinating, some country like Sweden or Denmark up there in the north where things work allegedly <laughs> they wanted to increase organ donors so young healthy people tragic deaths those organs are pretty valuable but it's often a very touchy situation to engage the family what they did was they changed the default in most countries the default is you are not enrolled and hopefully you enroll to be an organ donor before, you know, um, the tragedy happens. What they did in that country was they swapped it. Everyone is default enrolled. And if you don't want to be an organ donor, if something were to happen, then you have to actively go and unenroll. The fascinating thing is that the percentage of people that enroll and unenroll, it's actually the same, which probably says more about the number of people that gives a fuck either way. <laughs> So they basically changed the default 
And by basically acknowledging that no one cares because they'll be dead anyway, and they're busy with other things, presumably, they were able to get a much better desired outcome. And what I love about crypto is it because you're able to create closed economies where you can actually control a lot of the variables, you can control the supply, you can just see a lot of these things in like a tiny economy, you can actually capture a lot of these behaviors and incentives. And I think that you just nailed one of them. Why don't you just keep Poe up? If what you want is value, if what you want is recognition, if you, what you want is for people to feel part of the collective, a pop will do. And if yeah. anyone listening to this podcast wants to do the experiment, offer 50 bucks giveaway for an AMA <laughs> or offer a pop-up for attendees, <laughs> you're going to have a very different audience. <laughs> it's so true. I went to, if you know who Beanie Maxi and Farak are, they're NFT people. I went to a Twitter spaces where they were fighting. This was peak bull market, by the way. This was not recent, but during the golden era of last year. And they had a fight on the internet. I don't even remember what it was about, but they made up and Render made a pull app for attending the AMA. And I have this Render pull app simply because I wanted a Render piece. Yeah, like I feel special and recognized for being part of that very silly bull market moment and can like look back on it in my open sea and just laugh. For the uninitiated, Buck Render is a artist. He's a very well-known, very talented NFT artist, just very much leaning into the meme side of and degenerate side of our industries. No one becomes a famous, because NFT artist is a synonym with being in tune with a culture. No one becomes that by being like Bill Jones. Not at all. Have to be like fuck render or whatever else you come up with. Yeah. No, you've got to be memorable. You got to stand out. So props to him. But seriously, like we think humans are really complicated. Like we're not. It's lizard brain stuff. There are certain humans that are outliers and certainly are more complicated than the next. But when we're looking at a community and having statistically whatever large law of large numbers and what humans want to do, like we, it's pretty simple. And then you can create systems to help the people that are the outliers and not jiving with your community or not engaging or unfortunately detracting from the community. You can have those policies and pathways set up in systems. And when you have the function to kick people out based on your moderation policies, they agreed to that when they joined through Discord, if you have that configuration set up. So, you know, you hate to see it, you need to do it. But like we set up these systems and guidelines for a reason so that there is space for play and whimsy and actual creativity and bonding. That is super interesting because you've helped me see a duality. Crypto usually makes people really excited because now we have the technological tools to enact the things that we've always known. Even if you look at basic economics, you know, what happens if we print a trillion dollars? People are now finally able to implement maybe economic models, maybe really interesting models that may have required trust, may not have been possible because of cross-border payments. There is a super interesting vertical now popping up around AI, unlike data commons. Mm-hmm. So Technology makes it really exciting for people. And I guess coming from Web2, it's all a possibility. Where I get caught up sometimes is 
in the question of should we reinvent the wheel? Should we pretend we are the first ones? Near as a protocol learned a lot from Ethereum tech stack. I don't think we've drawn quite the same lessons from the Ethereum community. And once again, like that ethos and that commitment to the technology, even if you know that it's not scaling or if you have limitations or if it's seven years delayed, that is a community that is intrinsically motivated. They are driven by the technology. It's what I sometimes call nearing Olympics. Maybe they enjoy the technical challenge more than whatever comes after that. And I'm wondering what are some of those core Ethereum community ethos that we can implement in here? Because I hate to say it, the community here is a little bit, it's a bit tasteless. We're doing a lot and there are pockets. Banyan Collective is amazing. I love the work that you do. But how can we systemize that? You're the systems lady. Come on, help us. Yes. No, I do think that is is something that will be determined through this next 2023 year, right? Because honestly, shipping and building a community during a bull market is so chaotic. You can't even keep up with what you're doing day to day, let alone having foundational systems. Is it easier or harder than during a bear market? Because I can see how both would be very unique. It, it depends, right? Right now, you, during these quieter times, build really good operationally sound processes and foundations that, like, it's the infrastructure layer. And even from just a operations perspective, not technology infrastructure, just operationally. And so that when there are those catalytic moments in the future of bull runs, et cetera, the systems are there. And so then you just work on, again, not to use Web2 terms, but like optimizing and A-B testing and figuring out what the community wants and building in really good feedback loops. There's no point, I think, from Web2 to build it, they will come mentality anymore. We have direct access to community members that want to be part of what we're building and doing. So we can actually ask them what they want. We can't promise that it's all going to happen because obviously we have to vote and propose things through the protocol and proper channels of governance that we've set up. I think that we can't say that we're the first ones to do this because also, okay, so we're talking about decentralization. We're talking about consensus. We're talking about governance and collective decision making. There are grocery stores that are co-ops and have existed forever with good governance and policies and everybody's happy and some winning for everybody at that co-op. We're just trying to put co-ops on the internet with DAOs and then also interoperably work with other projects as well as tech decentralized too. That's how I think about it. And it's funny because we, again, back to keeping it simple. This is a co-op on the internet. We don't have, we're not building something new. We're just adapting what makes sense for our community and our use case to something that's already out there that's working and has been important for decades. One thing that I've struggled to explain, but that to me is very obvious, and I'd love to get your insights. What is the relationship or the difference between leadership and centralization? And maybe as a preface, I'd love to use the structure that the WGMI DAO has. It has levels. Being a community member, you're literally just in the Discord. You can lurk and take your time to familiarize yourself. Then there is a trainee contributor or something along those lines. 
where you start to pick up some responsibility and you get acquainted. Then you have like contributor proper. The difference between the two are some of the compensation and the responsibilities allocated to you. I think even access to some of the channels where some of the conversations are happening. And you keep working your way through two more levels. One being a guild leader. So there's different working groups. And after you've been a contributor for a while and you have earned that experience and respect from others, you can lead a group, different remuneration. And then finally, there is a council. Let's just simplify it by saying that people that keep the ships sailing or the ship together, whatever you want to say, shit, it's the same thing in my brain right now. So I'm really curious how that structure evolved were there less tiers initially were more work created as needed did you ever face criticism by oh you're a council member you have too much power i'm a pleb contributor because i can see all those narratives in my head all of the above all of the above we've had a lot of fun and we've learned a lot over the past year but it's definitely not been without all the normal bits of forming a community we also started during the bull market think about what activities are going on then versus versus now so yeah all of the above have happened zooming out looking back evolutionarily too Humans were hunters versus gatherers. That is a simple categorization. And I think that a lot of people who want to start DAOs or found summon DAOs really be those kind of leads are the hunters. Those were the people that were going out and getting the food for the gatherers who were back at the camp and maintaining home so that the hunters had somewhere to come back to. I also think about evolutionarily in businesses, how many millions of dollars have been spent on management consultants to do effective organization design and hierarchy? Ultimately, there are just certain types of people that want to be told what to do, and that's okay. But there are other people that are going to forge the things for the the gatherers and those who want to be told what to do. And so that's really where we landed at WGMI. I love it because this is a savage truth that sometimes we edit out when we think we're reinventing the wheel and we just call it a DAO. Yep. Before I dive into yeah. the serious stuff, interesting enough, all these people that are, were the hunters in the past and are mm-hmm. now creating all this technology, they're still all carnivore. This is true. And keto and paleo is... The overlap between the bro science bodybuilding Twitter world and crypto Twitter is, is strong. Yes. It's funny. It's some of it may be toxic, but I think that the overlap is just like being non-conformist. And I was just going to say that if we double click on those two categories, this is where we need to be really tricky as a decentralized organization, because once again, we have to acknowledge human nature. On the leader's side, on the hunter's There are the good leaders, the ones that inspire others, the one that provide, the one that plays the community first. Those are probably leading a protocol or thinking of new ways of doing things. And then there's the really shit leaders, the authoritarians and the dictators and the ones that put themselves first and how to extract money first and fuck the community. Like those are probably leading an NFT project. Right. No doubt in my mind, yes. And I hate to generalize, obviously there are some NFT projects that are innovative, their own ways, but if we had to have a rule of thumb, some are more extractive than others. And then if we look at the people that like to be told what to do, there's also two categories. 
there are people that thrive in very organized environments and with clear guidelines and an objective that they can subscribe to, they'll do fantastic. And there's people that they're just terrible. They just want to be told what to do because they give zero fuck. They'll just do whatever they're told in the most mediocre way to achieve the goal. And it's nothing wrong with it. I've got plenty of friends like that are accountants. But maybe it's not what we need in an early stage ecosystem where even if you are on the order side and you just want to be more operations or whatever the role may be, it's so fast paced that even just a loop to provide feedback, empowering people to talk, to challenge, to communicate, that is a super important part. So yeah, that's just a handful of the variables that we're trying to deal with. <laughs> yeah, just a couple really easy, straightforward goals that are going to be totally chill to figure out. Yeah. And then you add... Yeah cultural layers we don't really understand where some people are coming from and but we'll persevere yeah. if we go back to the origins some of the principles from the community having our own rational thinking about the situation that we face so for instance i found that people are very sensitive to criticisms of the of centralization and sometimes they shy away from mostly leadership not just our responsibility because they're still operating in the background, but maybe we can have a matrix. Is the criticism coming from somebody that is active contributing to the community? Is it valid criticism? Maybe their grievance is legit, but their solution is not, or maybe they express it in a bit of a nasty way. And in that way, not just encourage people to continue contributing, elevate themselves, as the quote said, but also try to diminish the trolls. The trolls are destroying so much value yeah but let's draw our next question you are the new head of community at banyan this is a private conversation just you and i there's no one else in this that was listening to this i am super curious to get maybe a quick recap we'll focus on the future but i'm super curious to see what you were faced with as you assume the role and how we're shifting gears and allocating priorities and resources for the year ahead. Yeah, starting in December, always an interesting time going into holidays and wrapping up year-end things and planning 2023. I think the one of the drawing factors of me as a person too is that I have a very high risk tolerance in uncertainty and volatility, just given my crypto ways over the years. That would also explain why you live in New York. That's true. Yeah. I mean, edit out all the sirens, but they're there. They're there. <laughs> Baby, we don't slow down here. But yeah, true that. So yeah, with that, it's been really interesting learning the ecosystem while also learning our relationship with the Near Foundation as a grantee that has a lot of support from the foundation to do a lot of these community First and community-driven initiatives, we are in a really cool position to be boots on the ground and actually connecting with people out there to figure out what the gaps are. Earlier in the conversation, you're asking me initial impressions of things and why am I interested in here? Since the tech is good, we have a unique opportunity to be on the ground and lead people to it. A big problem in Web3 and community is that we demand people to show up on crypto Twitter or find their way into Discord servers. Meanwhile, they 
barely even go on Reddit, right? And aren't thinking about community, especially online communities in that way. And so I think that we need to do our job to also meet people where they are. I've been really excited at how much Banyan and Near Foundation value and invest in and support having boots on the ground presence because the majority of my Web3 community building experience is IRL. Like it's not digital, massive communities of people all over the world. Yes, WGMI does that. And I've done it in other industries, but the Web3, it's particularly been in person. I was actually going to ask you because I wrote on the show notes slash agenda that I have completely ignored. What is the difference between an in real life community and a digital community? Because I think one of the other legacy issues that we have in here is we were mostly born or started to grow during a fucking pandemic. I was locked in my house. I could literally not leave for more than one hour a day. And naturally everything was online. And because most people were locked to varying degrees of intensity, it came about very naturally. And my thesis has always been that now that people are regaining their freedoms and being able to leave their houses, there's actually a social thirst to go out, to meet people, to enjoy life. And we need to be aware of not only what habits we may have put in place during those very unusual times, but also that a lot of the people that join the Web3 world never leave in a pre-pandemic world. I recall from the blockchain center in 2017, 2018 in Melbourne, where I live, it was amazing. Open door policy, meetups every second day. There was really strong networking. Some of the teams that I saw being formed there are still going. I traveled for a bit and I really enjoyed being able to arrive at any city and show up to their meetup. It's a Tushy Tuesday, Pizza Wednesdays, Talk and Trade. Everyone has got a funky name for it. I even got interviewed by this dude who was published at a Monero magazine in German. I think I met him in Prague or something. And he was just fascinated by my story. There's actually a video of me in 2017 at the Bitcoin Cafe in Prague as well. Oh. It is the funniest shit. I need to resurface it for this podcast. So yeah. there's something really good about getting people in the same room. The challenge is how to quantify the value for a third party that may need to see some sort of KPIs or traction before handing over money. Yes, yes. Always it comes down to the dollars, yes. Yeah, but I think that good communities show up without money. That's the key. Max, I don't want to attempt to say his last name and butcher it, but we all know him as Dev. Pagoda Max? Pagoda Max, precisely. He has a really funny tweet that is so spot on accurate out there about the different types of community events that can happen. And the distinction he makes is one type is very much sales and business related, VC, investor, good food, good drink, fancy venue, like classy vibes, right? Then on the flip side, there are builder meetups and maybe you plan to have 10 people and get pizza for 10 people, but 20 people show up and then you cut the pizza into smaller pieces and then you go about learning. And that's a big distinction. And the type of community building I go for is very much the pizza, the cutting the pizza down into smaller pieces building. Because 
again, it comes back to intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. Are people there because they want to learn? They're curious. They have questions. They want to see it for themselves in real life. That's what I think is exciting and can draw people IRL without necessarily throwing tons of money at it. I love it. That is 100% the right question. I have been in Medellin for a few weeks now, almost three months. It's, it's time to leave soon. <laughs> I love it here. And I held a meetup. I gave a presentation, introduction to Nier. It was great. I worked a few hours in the slide and I didn't get a grant for, from it from the foundation or anything. I paid for it out of my own pocket, 400 bucks. It was a bar tile. There was some pizzas. You know, what was really interesting to me. The people that showed up and found out upon arriving at the venue that there were free drinks and pizza, they were surprised. They were not there for the food or drinks. That's a nice to have. They came there because they go there every week. And I'm actually going there after recording this podcast. Because you meet with like-minded people. And you don't mind paying for your own drink. Or you don't mind not drinking anything because you're broke because it's a bear market. You go there because of the community. It's always a nice to have if you can give your guests something. But I keep going back to how can we communicate to people that we don't expect them to work for free. They're not my employee. They're not your employee necessarily. A community is driven intrinsically. They should be getting enjoyment from showing up, from connecting with others, from learning. They should be hopefully advancing their own career, their own project. Or in the WGMI example, they are building that experience, that street cred. That's not the right word. Yeah, Facebook. <laughs> like it's it is. It's like using the tools and having an on-chain resume. It's important. And that's why I always ask the distinction between how can we appropriately label what leadership is, what centralization mm -hmm. is, and what kleptocracy is. Because if you ask me, and I'll tell everyone, Cameron fucking earned it. For a very long time, he was the only one in the foundation that I saw hustling on the ground, paid, not paid. He traveled out of his own pocket. He got the introductions. I am sure that there were other people in the foundation that I didn't have visibility to. But when I heard that he was leaving the foundation and being empowered with his own organization and basically have more leeway to, to grow the U.S. as a region, I was excited. So if people say, oh, it's kleptocracy, former NF employees, look, there may be some instances where former NF employees get a sweet deal, whatever, on a case-by-case -case basis, Cameron owned it. And then the question goes back to, how do we create those opportunities for every new community member that arrives to prove their worth? And I'd love to hear your thoughts. I know that you're currently in several cities with several teams. And are there going to be hacker houses every month this year? I know that a few things are still being defined, but let me just turn on the lights. I'm listening. Yep, yep. We have, yeah, no, we've been defining sort of our content and programming for the rest of 2023. We will still be actively involved in the cities of New York and San Francisco because that's where the concentration of humans are. Obviously, there's plenty of people in other cities, but to your point of what makes IRL community building successful, it is density and having the demographics of 
the right types of people that you want to come into the community. And New York and San Francisco are really well positioned for that, for Banyan. And then Hacker Houses, definitely still part of the programming. think that there will be some opportunities to help organize some in the future. But right now, I think the key for us is finding really good developers in each of these nodes and connecting the dots on the resources that already exist. Because I also think this is a problem with Web3 and crypto is that there's a ton of resources and like good programs and grant offerings out there, but it's really hard to find it all of the time. I'd love to help aggregate a lot of the amazing work that's already been done and put into place by Cameron, as well as others from the foundation and the ecosystem, double down on what's existing and reinforce that so that we can have really strong, successful programming at minimum in New York and San Francisco that can then be replicated as we expand into other cities and into the metaverse and beyond. Love it. If you were to rate from one to 10, 10 being amazing, one being, <laughs> how would you rate that current documentation pathways is in place? And how much CLR needs to be built, structured, documented? From a global near perspective, there's a ton of high quality information out there. It's again, just a matter of finding the pieces that are relevant to you. Having aligned messaging of what all these really cool, unique things are so that we can, as people are boots on the ground, can evangelize it properly and be talking the talk and walking the walk. And particularly for community managers and other non-technical roles, a lot of us get it conceptually, but we're not devs. It's really having that good understanding so that you could tell your parents what you're doing. I find that tough. to be important. Tough. Yeah, it is tough, but I find that to be important. Everybody needs to do a better job globally of taking what's already out there and customizing and picking the most relevant pieces for their communities. For example, in New York, we have a lot of builders, but we also have a lot of investors as well as founders. And then San Francisco, very heavy founder community, also very heavy developer community. But even within those two communities, the founders and developers are very different between the two cities. And so what's going to resonate in San Francisco won't necessarily resonate in New York. So that's why it is important to invest in the actual regional IRL presence because you're actually building what is appropriate. It's like having a global reach with a local footprint. And that's what we really need to double down on. Makes sense. And it's interesting because even with the US, the focus now is on the most advanced ecosystems. That's probably an indication of how early we are. It's like, hey, let's try to max out these very vibrant hotspots of activity, then the Web2 transition and beyond. It's very unique from ecosystem to ecosystem. It's imminent though. You wake up every day seeing all these layoffs. There is investment from governments and other bodies that want to use blockchain technology. That's a thing to make a distinction of. Even if we can't live our lives fully on Ethereum or near or any of the ecosystems, it's not necessarily a bad thing if the technology becomes rails and just replaces some of the existing structures that are 
inefficient and just need updating since we've advanced so much technologically. Just continuing to make incremental progress, whether we make it 10 years from now or 100 years from now, this is going to be a very interesting time to have been a part of. And I have personally enjoyed sort of being on the front row seat of it all and having the firsthand anthropological experience because I really know each generation is conditioned to believe that their own timelines are uniquely bad, but this has certainly been an interesting timeline we've been living in. And we can't I, complain. Yeah, can't, can't we are complain. winning in the online casino. We can't complain. Exactly. And I also think that it's brought back personality and the funness of being on the internet and like early days of chat rooms and forums and games and whatnot. But I always joke that we do these podcasts, we have these deep philosophical conversations, we explore these really fascinating topics. And honestly, my thesis at the end of the day is that mass adoption is going to be achieved through the crypto equivalent of Candy Crush or Farmville. I agree. And I think that's why Near is heading in the right direction, Web 2.5 and focusing on institutional partnerships. Those are all things that were really frowned upon like a year ago when we were in the bull market, or at least frowned upon by those communities that, as we mentioned before, have a very strong ethos around decentralization. And they felt like, what does NIR stand for? They're just going for people walking on an app. Now, it may be more obvious because we need users and apps. And I'm really fascinated by how those two come together. The strategic outlook for 2023 actually makes it clear that Foundation is going to focus on the big fish, B2B, BD, whatever, and then empower the community to do the bottoms up. And again, that's where you and I come in. I'm really excited by all those opportunities and something that I'm not going to say came out of nowhere because I've always known it to be true, but it's brilliant to see it materialize. Addy, I do have a couple of questions around DAO tooling or near. I know that you have a lot of experience with DAOs. You have a list of tools and resources. One that I liked was called, is it something ape? Coordinate. Um, yeah. Shout out to the friends at Coordinate, particularly Reese. He's the community manager and also a core contributor at WGMI. But shout yeah, out to Reese. Shout out to Reese. But yeah, to quickly touch on Coordinate, I know that capability is coming out with Near Social, which is really exciting. So what Coordinate essentially is, it's like a peer social recognition tool that is another level of how to do governance and confirming people did the work that they signed up for. It's been in that group project where... You're, there's a team of several people and you're the person that does all the work. So with Coordinate, the idea is that you can allocate tokens to the people to confirm, hey, you did what you signed up for. Or you know what? Hey, ABB, you actually went above and beyond and kicked ass. And I'm actually going to allocate more tokens to you because I'm recognizing that you went above and beyond the initial ask. And so that can factor into how people move up within the DAO at WGMI. So if we see that you're an apprentice and you've been kicking ass and really value adding or proactively contributing, you'll get that recognition through Coordinate. And then that can be considered with picking up new projects or leadership roles within the DAO. 
I love it. I love it. I think AstroDAO is extremely powerful. I sit in several DAOs, so I push through a bunch of transactions. It is cheap, fast, but we're definitely missing that layer of being able to provide feedback and allocate value to actions. I could think of many examples. I've recently started thinking that having all council members or members in general of a DAO, whichever way you define the role, having them all get paid the same doesn't make sense. As you just mentioned, things have not changed much from like primary school. Within groups, there are people that some are overachievers, some are better in some areas, some are better in others. And I can tell you, it does create resentment within the group. It's actually worse if you've been working together for a long time with those friendships, because then you wouldn't want to tell them that it may be time for them to step down or to pick up more work. But this tool makes it really simple to basically credit or recognize people's input. They keep going back, but I love it because everything is human behavioral design. If you go back to that, it's even a really cool way to gamify things. No doubt. The buzzwords don't change. Alignment, incentive design, optimizing, engagement, right? But the beauty of what we get to do in Web3 has come from a much more authentic place because of the ownership opportunities and the ecosystems. Different ecosystems have different purposes. People can self-select if they're not finding what they want in near or whatever until they find what they do want. We need to be mindful of that as well. They always also say it takes 10 years to become an overnight success because, again, nobody wants to be in a bear, but shipping in a bull is beyond chaotic. And that was not sustainable for anyone or any project or any ecosystem. How do we use this time productively and smartly so that we're still building towards the mission and getting people excited to keep building towards that future with us? I'm trying to remember who said it doesn't matter because truths transcend the person that says it. Near ships first and they market later. And if you want to be cynical, some people at least six months ago were saying like, yeah, I mean, we're shipping. Like, where is the marketing? So I am curious to know if you were chain curious before getting approached by Cameron or how he sold it to you. Have you been able to find a way to sell it to your friends? I'm assuming extensive ETH networks. Are there any particular messages that resonate, obviously with a qualifier that each community has different interests? No, I was not necessarily ecosystem curious because again, as someone who wants to be very thoughtful about the work that I do in this industry, I'm coming from a place of abundance and a place of I have choice on where I get to go versus like desperate to just get a resume built and just find my way. I have a lot of conviction and know myself really well. That takes a lot of the complexity out of it. I remember Cameron and the way he spoke early on when I met him. I just remember his fire and his passion really cutting through in a very authentic way, very much from the place that I come from when I see opportunities here. Also, the symbolism of Banyan, the Banyan tree is about giving back to the ecosystem and it actually grows away like roots from the top of the tree to go back into the earth and spread more good things in the ecosystem. That all really resonates with me because I don't have a problem with people being wealthy. I don't have a problem with folks doing well. But what I have a problem with is the access 
to the same opportunity. If you look at capitalism and what it really is defined as, it's about equal opportunity, not equal outcome. Finding people that care about that side of the technology is very near and dear to me, which is where near is coming from. And I think that because of the roots of Eastern Europe and a lot of stuff going on there, I think the founders are approaching this from a unique use case and perspective because they know how powerful it can be to their own communities in that way versus I think about this all the time. You look at all these projects that are getting funded out of Silicon Valley and you're like, oh, sweet, another food delivery app. What problem are we really solving with that? For all of these reasons, I'm very excited about Near. I also very much believe in a multi-chain universe. From a serious global mass adoption perspective, Near is very well positioned to do it. But from the quirky kind of like funky vibes of crypto and stuff, you can get that in Ethereum and some other communities and ecosystems that are out there too. It depends on what really resonates with you. For my technical friends, all the decentralized front-end work that's going on is extremely exciting. The near-discovery work is really exciting. So when I'm talking to them, I'm really talking about the complex technical issues being solved versus here's where you can retire off of this sick Ponzi scheme. That's not near. And I've always gotten the vibe that it never has been, which I think is tremendous. Obviously, grifters gonna grift and they go from ecosystem to ecosystem, but I don't feel that near has ever encouraged that. That's another reason. Nope. Very bullish on it because I think just again, sound tech sound people that are building for real world decentralization and distribution of systems. It really does come back to extrinsic and intrinsic motivations, because if you are intrinsically aligned, you and the protocol are one, you want to do the work, it actually makes no difference whether you are privileged. So you have the financial means to get yourself to what you want to do, or whether you're broke as but you have conviction in the course that you want to see it succeed. In some ways, it actually becomes your pathway, not to become rich, but to be able to overcome difficulty. And you said something really interesting, and this is something that maybe was more prevalent back in the day when we didn't have the technology, and maybe people stopped saying it because they realized it was just not viable, and we should find a way to bring it back into the conversation as you start to peel off people's everyday problems, so you mentioned education in the U.S., intuition. Hypothetically, if you were to put university endowments and even the entire bureaucracy and stack on some sort of a decentralized DAO structure, just being able to see on-chain how much money comes into these institutions from direct donations, from the endowment investments, from tuition, and how much money they're spending on stuff, that basic level of accountability would create a massive shift in the way that people see and value their education. I think it was an author, if I remember. The link will be in the show notes. If not, yes. <laughs> but yeah, somebody, I think it was maybe Nassim Taleb or some, one of those, making, maybe Mark and Blatt, they wrote a blog post recently saying that, I think it was Harvard or Princeton, just endowment returns, that's $44 billion and growing, just the endowment returns, like conservative interest, 10% per year. It covers the entire operational expenses. You're charging people 50, 60, 70, who knows how many thousands of dollars per semester. So that is something that we're not there yet. We have maybe some technological primitives to tackle, maybe have some user experience to tackle. 
Well, the point is, there are people working on those technological primitives. Where are the ambitious people, the nonconformists, the weirdos, the freaks that want to tackle these issues? Ironically, tech is the only industry where you don't need a formal qualification and where all the education is, to a large extent, free or flexible. You know, there's models where you don't pay until you graduate, until you find a job. That's where I get excited by innovation. I could go on examples forever. That's when you realize, well, actually, Candy Crush may be the one where we make it, quote unquote, mass adoption. But there are so many opportunities to fix a small fix that could have a massive impact on so many people's lives. That's why I am here. Love it. I can't wait. Now we just have to make sure the incentives of the traditional structures don't get in the way of our incentives so we can actually build some cool, meaningful stuff. Like I said earlier, the reason I'm here is because I keep meeting these wonderful humans that like I want to change the world with and light all the old stuff on fire. So I'm very bullish on the humans I've met, even if this all goes to zero. But I really don't think it will for a variety of reasons. Onward and upward, right? Of course. Are there any of those key messages, maybe things that they've said recently, recommendations, what they read from these wonderful humans that you may be able to share with the audience? Could be anything. You've piqued my interest for sure. And I really enjoy today's reading. So I'm happy to double click. Yeah, I've been absolutely delighted. You know what? Actually, I sh we should have shouted this out sooner. Richard Thaler is a behavioral economist from, I believe, the University of Chicago. And he has a couple really great books on behavior design and the science that goes into behavioral economics, but in a really easy to read way. It's not super dense. You don't need to be an economist or someone who understands systems really well to have a good grasp of this book and realize how much of that is applied to our daily lives. So honestly, anything by Richard Thaler, definitely read. Nudge is the main book that I'd recommend, though. Amazing. I'll make sure to include it in the show notes. I know that people don't read these days, but I'd like to think that it's more like they're super selective with what they read. This is why recommendations are so important, especially if you are still listening to this, you're probably deep in crypto, you have intrinsic alignment. And yeah, I will definitely be looking at the book for myself. I'll just tell you another book I picked up thanks to my good friend, Adam from Settlers. Shout out. It's called Wanting the Power of Mimetic Desire in Everyday Life. Oh my God. Yes, I bought it. I yeah, left it back in Australia. So I've only read like halfway through, but it is so good. Yeah, I think honestly reading this in tandem with Nudge will help people understand behavioral economics of groups of humans and then probably their own behavioral economics within themselves of what motivates them to do the things they do. I'm with you. I 100% recommend those. Amazing. We're going to have some travels coming up to eat Denver and whatnot. Always taking good recs for traveling. I may be doing the most idiotic thing, but it is what it is. So I'm in Medellin now, which is lovely. It's close to everything. It's like bang in the middle, close to the equator. I'm going down to Buenos Aires, oh, yeah. eight hours south. Correct. And Denver is eight hours north of where I'm now. So it's going to be crazy. Like it's a long way. Like it's literally it's like pole to pole. But anyway, anything to be there during near Denver. 
Absolutely. We'll uh, look forward to doing some fun near activations together and uh, just getting to hang out IRL. You've been internet friends now for a bit, but I always like to take those activities off chain, at least. <laughs> We're both fans of in real life, so we yeah. shall have a good time. I'm just really curious. Was Cameron jealous or did he say anything that I had you on the podcast before him? No, he was very encouraging and all about it. He's a very chill person and he's recommended a few really good guests, but I've been meaning to have him since a long time. I thought that the NYC hacker house in person was going to be the time. As it turns out, that was when he was the busiest. So yeah, he'll be on eventually, but. That's okay. I, his life changes quite a bit day to day, but the current plan, I think, is that he'll establish himself in San Francisco, working with our community manager, Alejandra, and then I'll be in New York with our community manager, Joanna. I'll obviously be supporting global and national initiatives as well as New York initiatives. And then we'll just have that extra level of leadership oversight with Cameron in San Francisco since I can't be in two places at once. And I think it'll be really cool to talk to him once he moves, since he's been nomading for so long and now is planting a flag somewhere for a bit. So I think it's actually nicely timed to do a future episode with him. That's awesome. I like that. I am very much available and keen to collaborate on the Worldwide Hacker House Tour. I'm actually about to post in the governance forum or I'm thinking about it. I don't know if I have the time. Because I've seen that recently both Aptos and Sui released their World Hacker House Tour, whichever way they named it. And last year, Solana had the summer of love. It was like one hacker house per week in Europe. That was fun for those that attended. I think that we need that in here. To sum up the entire conversation, we need to have the opportunities for the community member to show up. We need to give them something to do. And what better than a hackathon? Absolutely. We're a big fan of hackathons. And I think that hackathons can be used a couple different ways. There are the ones that are longer term, more virtual, that really encourage like proper building out of products that are able to go to market, as well as the actual fun ones that are in person and the mad dash of 24 to 78 hours of just like hacking. And those are much more about the experience and the MVP and the concepting and the idea of rapid iteration while also just getting exposure to a lot of things. I think both are really important to to succeed. And there, there still will definitely be hackathons in the mix, just D on what it all looks like, but I know we are supporting some hackathons in the meantime until we get our own up and running again. So Tree Hacks out of Stanford is coming up and there is a potential for some other opportunities with near social and doing hackathons with them and helping to facilitate in-person experience there. I don't think we're going to have a quiet 2023. I know everybody keeps asking me how my bear winter is going or my crypto winter is going. And I'm like, what winter? I'm busier than I've ever been. Correct. Yeah. worth down, but busier than ever. That's how we're all. Exactly. I agree with you because I have started learning how to code many times. Every time I get a little bit further ahead, my choice of a poison is Python. I think it's amazing. It can be used for so many things. I'm so excited by the Pioneer module coming up. Shout out to the Here Wallet team. But my thinking, my rationale is that not every hackathon needs to create the next big thing. 
And I actually would love to see like a builder group where you actually just fork things. The session is deploy your own decks. It's not that you want to have the next big decks and go and compete with Ref, but there are so many lessons in understanding, okay, this is how we do it. Yeah. This is what can be done. You go through the documentation. If every developer that comes to the near ecosystem understood really well the code that we already have, then they can go build those big things. And I'd be really curious to see how you guys can structure these experiences in a way that it doesn't need a million dollar prize money. Could be a weekend thing, could be a university, could be, uh, there could be many variations. I'd be more than happy to both support and attend those. Fantastic. I think there's a lot of opportunity there. And I think that the industry overall is thinking about how to do really successful hackathons because there's just a tremendous amount of opportunity there. If it's done well, like the ROI is very much worth it and it's there, but often it's very much community building where you don't necessarily have instant gratification of the results. So that's a really important distinction of a lot of community events and programming and whatnot. Planting seeds that you harvest in a future time. A lot of what you can do when you're initially building a community is just have really good ways to measure what's going on. Not to be big brother and not to Google Analytics to monetize the community, but just to really understand what does the community want? What is the best way to meet them where they are? How do they want to be contacted? That's really what I'm talking about. And the same thing goes for hackathons. Just because people aren't shipping this killer product after three days of staying up all night and hacking doesn't mean that six months later they didn't and that a meaningful situation didn't happen at that hackathon. Actually, the Here Wallet is a great example. From my understanding, that's where the team had met Peter, who submitted the project and then became really invested in the ecosystem after, I believe, receiving some grants or at least support to, to go build it. And, and he also met a potential investor that way, too. How do you quantify that? How do you measure that? But that happened as a community activation. And that's a beautiful thing. If I had to map, how met some of the closest contacts, best friendships, and also some of the people that I think are doing top work. It's probably all for these kind of activations. Neocon, I met a big badge. YC, Hacker House, I met another badge. There's a lot of online things as well, but I agree with you. That's why I think that's something like CoinApe. What's that? Like Coin, like the Yuga Labs thing? Uh, the productivity tool. Oh, coordinate. Coordinate. Oh, sorry. I know. That's why something like coordinate is so important because yeah. if we can start to quantify people's contributions and then, because I always ask the question, how can we get more people like Peter? Young, smart, shipping like a motherfucker. How can we get more people like him? Where do they hang out? Just go there. Lure them in. We try to recreate the steps. I have a really good conversation with him, by the way, two podcasts ago. And if we wanted to recreate the steps, we need to make Americans fucking suffer and appreciate what they have and really strive to excel in their areas. But that's a separate conversation. Separate conversation. I could spend a whole other two more hours talking to you about that because, again, as someone who recognizes how privileged we are to get to work on this and take the risk to be doing what we're doing, that that is very near and dear to me of solving real problems. And I think that's going to be very encouraged from, from near as well of truly what the real world use case. Really got me excited about crypto back in the day was the tech arbitrage because mm -hmm. you have areas that are high output 
of technology, let's say raw code, but because anyone can plug into that, then you have areas that have more need. And because capital transcends borders, there's like an amazing synergy there. That's why I'm like, you guys are doing the hackathons and I'm doing awareness here. At some point, the roads cross. That's why I think that the global tour would be so valuable. And I may be wondering what the possibility would be to get a traveling circus of Mm -hmm. mentors, educators, and coders to gather feedback from all these different communities so that we have actual continuity. I don't know. Would you sign up? A nomadic year? Would I sign up? Potentially for stretches of it, but your girl, she loves borderless, permissionless currency. I also love New York City so much, and I think I would physically be ill if I were away for a year, which sounds dramatic, but the best things of my life have ever happened because of this city. And I owe a lot to who I am because of it. And I am not ready to give it up entirely. I 100% understand. Sometimes I think about spending more time in New York City. Who knows? Maybe the best things of my life are waiting for me there. However, I volunteer as a tribute. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I'll be there. Where are we going next? Morocco? Alan? Yeah. I'll be there. I love it. I would definitely sign up for some of it, no doubt. Like, I love to travel still, and I love that the work we do brings together different cultures and humans. And I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which was an extremely homogenous place. And I wanted the diversity I didn't have in New York City, which I get now, which is really cool. And I think the same for these sorts of business opportunities and work travel. Sky's the limit. Literally impossible to predict what we'd be in one year time. So let's just go for it 110% and hope for the best. That's right, baby. My favorite motto these days is just instead of LFG, let's fucking go. Let's fucking build. Builder's going to build. So let's fucking build. I think that is a fantastic place to wrap it up. We're closing in on two hours and... uh, I think we've covered a lot of work. I'm happy. I think so too. It's fun because we could go deep on a lot of these topics, but I'm glad we went wide and covered a big span. And if there's anyone out there that this resonates with or has questions or wants to share their hot takes, come find me. I am on near social. So adigator.near. That is such a good name. You can find me anywhere, Telegram, Discord, Twitter, et cetera, all of those, all the domain names I have, et cetera, all Adigator. So come find me. That is a fantastic call to action. I do think that there will be or there should be people reaching out to see how we can construct these experiences, if anything resonates, how to attract people to the community, how to activate them, how to create opportunities. If you are anywhere else in the world and what Banyan is doing resonates, maybe Addy could use a couple of hands with this uh, documentation and playbooks. I'll certainly be keeping in touch to see how we activate either Australia or Colombia. Who knows where I'll be next? Again, the sky's the limit. And the beautiful thing I've learned is that there are near people everywhere. I had the very nice fortune of meeting some of the foundation folks and some of the protocol folks this past week, including the man, the myth, the legend himself, Ilya. So that was... Yeah, you said that. Yeah. Do you have any alpha? No alpha other than there's a ton of near people in New York City and we need to hang out. So I'm putting out the bat signal. New Yorkers, come find me. Also... Tell you what. (laughs) Yeah. Next time you hear of someone you know who has like a spare room and they're looking for a roomie, let me know. 
I'll consider just like going there for three months. Brilliant. We'll make it happen. I love that. And uh, yeah, no alpha, but truly just good to know that there's a lot of people out there. And again, if you're a dev in New York, please hit us up. If you're a dev in San Francisco, please hit us up. But also, if you're just an awesome community member, like we're here. So looking forward to meeting more folks and seeing more near people at Denver. That's a wrap. Thanks so much, Eddie. Thank you. This is great. Cheers. That's the end of another episode. As always, I just want to thank you for listening because let's be honest, you are amazing. And I also want to remind everyone that everything contained on this episode is for entertainment and educational purposes only. Nothing on this podcast shall be construed as financial, medical, or any other type of advice. And you should always consult with licensed professionals before making any financial decisions. Make sure that you like and subscribe so that you stay up to date with the latest episode. We've got a steamy hot pipeline of guests that will keep you entertained right through the bear market. Stay safe out there, and I'll see you soon. Bye.